In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Bow your heads with me. Lord, as we talk today about the beginning, <clears throat> begin, begin in us something, Lord, today. Begin in us something. Help us to see this and through this to see you. And the words that I speak, proclaim yourself to this room. Do that today, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to start where all good stories start this Advent season. What better place than the very, very beginning? <laughs> and hopefully um, I can communicate some sense of what I learned this week. Um, just how profound our beginning is. Just how profound the sense is that we have a sense of a beginning that so precedes anything we could ever possibly know on our own. That these verses are never something we could ever know. We could never know this. We are told this. We've been communicated this. But there's also something about these first five verses that I've never thought about, right? We believe Moses wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, right? Which means we believe Moses wrote the book of Genesis. Why do we believe that? We believe that because Jesus believed that. In John 5, Jesus says, and Moses gave us this. So Jesus tells us, Moses gave us this book. He wrote it down. A man wrote down the beginning, right? What does that mean for us that we are listening to somebody, a man, who wrote this? How do, how do we know this? Did, did Moses get this passed down from oral tradition, right? From Adam, who then told his sons, who then told their sons, who then, and, and, and it just is a known thing, and Moses records it, could be. Did Moses divinely get it like he got the words from the burning bush and God spoke it directly to him? Could be. It doesn't matter. And here's why it doesn't matter. Because we have two things. We, we work fully from Scripture. If this church is about one thing, it's that to know God, we must work fully and completely with Scripture. And I'm blown away by this. Why do we believe the origins, the very beginnings, the truth that Moses wrote down. Two verses. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, all scripture, every word is God-breathed, is divinely inspired, and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All of it, every word, not 99% of it, 
All of it is useful. But then hear this. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things. Moses wrote this. Moses knew this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may follow all the words of the law. We are not told everything about the beginning, but we are told everything we need to know about the beginning. Wrestle with that. <laughs> you already are wrestling with that. But John, is, was it the Big Bang? Was it blah, blah, blah? I'm not going to do that today. I'm not going to play that game today because we know everything we need to know and we're asking the wrong question. The question isn't how did it all happen, exactly how. The question is who made it happen. See, we're asking the wrong question about the beginning. The question is who. That's the question we all really want to know. None of us really care about how because how is just a means to who. How is just a means to am I it? Can I control? That's the real reason we want to know how. It's control and it's power. And this who question ought to melt us to our core because the who is not us. In the beginning, who? God. In the beginning, him. And we will spend our whole lives fighting against that, won't we? We spend our entire lives fighting the first four, count them, four letters. Four words, excuse me, of the Bible. We could throw the whole rest of it out and just grapple with those for our whole life. In the beginning, God. And then the question of who. We wrestle with that. We say, okay, if, then what? Okay, fine, John. In the beginning, God... But, who is this guy? And here's the glory. If we change how we see these first five verses from the how to the who, we can begin to learn that. In just this short section of the beginning, we can begin to learn who. Because the reason Moses wrote this wasn't how, right? Back then, in these cultures, the how was... was not that big of a deal because everyone believed in a who. Everyone believed in a God. Everyone around the Israelites believed in a God. They just believed in many gods. There was a God for everything. There was a God for fertility. There was a God for the harvest. There was a God for the sun. Everything they could see became a God. And Moses comes in and he says, no, we're going to be different. We have just one. There's just one God, guys. And it's so important that I'm going to write it down. We can't pass this from tradition to tradition any longer. I need to write this down. You guys are so bad at this. I'm going to write it down. I could just see him saying that, right? <laughs> You're going to get it wrong unless we write this down. Amen. So that's what he does. And he does it to show the character of God. The word God appears 36 times in the first 36 verses of the Bible. This is a section of the Bible. Genesis 1 is about God. It's not about us. So if you take one thing away today, take this away. 
our faith, our belief, what we do here is not about us. It's about God. And what is the first thing that we learn? It's the first verb, the fifth word, created. God is a creator. He creates. He creates everything we know and everything we don't know. All that is known, he's created and everything we don't know and may never, ever know. He's still created. He's the source of all of it. And he does this in the most amazing way. His spirit begins to hover, right? This, this is the beginning of everything, and it's also the beginning of our story. The Bible is our story. We live in this story. So imagine this. God's hand with his pen is hovering. It says the spirit of God hovered. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering, some texts say moving, over the waters. Imagine the tremble of a hand with a pen beginning to write the first words. God's presence is there amidst the nothingness of our reality. Our reality hasn't been built. The story hasn't happened. And in the sound of a word, in the spoken intention, in the moment of change, everything happens. God has such ultimate power that everything he's preconceived can become reality instantaneously. Because he wills it. To speak is to will. The way we know what people mean and what they want is through what they say. And he wills it and he wills it. His will is perfect. The beginning of, beginning of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony is framed around these verses. And I listened to it the other day and it's just incredible, right? When we sing the Messiah at Easter, when you hear the Messiah, right? That is Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, the Ode to Joy, right? Sorry, that's Handel's Messiah. The Ode to Joy, right, in Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. That incredible work comes from this. And at the very beginning, there's just a tremolo, just a tremolo of a violin. The nothingness is created through this just faint vibration. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. This is sort of an image to me of chaos, right? Formlessness, emptiness. It could just as easily be that there's a blank page as a page of scrambled letters that mean nothing. And God begins to create meaning. In that moment, we have a creator who creates from an irreality, from a nothing that we can sense and know to something that we can know. And in that ninth symphony, in that first moment, and after that tremolo comes, the first thing that comes, the hand of God that comes, is like a sonic boom of reality coming into being. We have a creator. Who is our God? He is a creator. And then what can we know next? It says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. We have a good God. Psalm 119 says, you are good. What you do is good. The light that he created, it was good because it came from him who was good. We have a good God. He's not good most of the time. He's not good some of the time. He is good all of the time. And he created something that was meant to be good all of the time. 
We'll come back to that. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. Now, this one requires a little digging. Why is it important that he separated the light from the darkness? And why is it that he could see that the light was good? They're part of the same, the same character trait. When you see that something is good, what are you doing? You're making a judgment. From the very beginning, our God can see, he defines, which means he can judge. At the very beginning, he can determine what is good. He can see things and know them completely. He can see us and know us completely. And when he begins to separate the light from the darkness, we can see that out of that judgment, he creates order. If there's anything we know about our reality, there is an order to it. So our God is a creator. He's good. He judges. He separates. But we know this also, that he is eternal, that he precedes our notion of time, that he precedes everything, that he comes at the beginning and he stays through the end. You cannot separate something if you're going to leave it. The separation of light and darkness requires something that sustains the separation, right? If, if you seek to separate something, generally speaking, you have to attend that it stays separated, right? You have to organize it. For your house to stay clean, what, will, what is one thing we know about our homes Entropy works, you guys. Our homes will fall apart if we leave them. The chaos will come. And you'll wake up and, okay, I've got to clean up again. I've got to create order again. I have to actively separate. So our God is not just separating once. He doesn't just separate and leave things. See, there's a view of, there's a view of deism, this idea that God created everything and just took off. We are in sort of a lonely planet and God is elsewhere. He did his thing, he made it, and then he left. We don't believe in a God that made something and left. We know from the entirety of the Bible that he sustains it. And so just to separate light from darkness means that he is sustaining an order. I'll go into why I'm saying all this in a second, but we need to know who God is. And I, I liken it to this. Think of this kind of separation. Think of God a little bit. This is, this is a lousy metaphor in the enormity of God, right? But I'm going to give it a shot. An electromagnet. What do we know? Does, are people familiar with what an electromagnet is? When you power an electromagnet, it polarizes, right? It creates a charge. It needs the power running through it to pull things to it, to, to be a magnet. It's not a magnet without the electricity. I urge us to begin to start to think of God's sustaining presence in the entirety of reality as something that he flows through in order for it to work. Okay? Let that be a backdrop. Let that, I'm going to recall that again because it's so important as we explore this text because my purpose here in knowing the who is not to do a whole sermon that we're talking about light and darkness. We're bringing an advent. We're going somewhere with this. There's a physical light and darkness here. 
because there is a very real and intentional spiritual light and darkness. This beginning of the light. He's not, we're not, this, is not a, this is not poetic for the sun, moon, and stars, I don't believe. And here's why. If you go down to verse 14 of Genesis 1, that's where God creates the sun, moon, and stars. He doesn't create the sun, moon, and stars in verse 3 when he makes light. So what does that mean? What does that begin to mean? God is emanating light from his being in some way that we cannot understand, but is not the way we currently see light. God, the light that comes from God is part of God. It emanates out of him and it is good because it comes from him. It is a direct line. God creates a separation by just imbuing his presence into our reality. Let there be light is God flooding himself into a reality first before anything else happens and sustaining it in its entirety. And the people reading this are not unfamiliar with evil. The people reading this have, have fled the Egyptian rule as slaves. They are in a desert. I don't know when Moses wrote this. We don't know. But likely for 40 years when they were wandering around in the desert, he probably had some time to write this in a time where they know evil. They know their own evil so clearly. We know a God who creates everything, who sustains everything, and who judges everything because he has an intention for everything. And his intention is good, and so we know there is spiritual light because God emanates it from himself. This is critical. And we also know that there is spiritual darkness. We know it deep within our souls. We know it without having to be told it, that there is darkness. But we are still told it. If we go to Genesis 2, after creation comes to its culmination and its fullness, and we have Adam, and we have Eve, and we learn. 2, 17, 16 through 17 Starting at 15, sorry. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. See, I want to I go back to our metaphor for a second. To exist within God's presence in God's reality is to live. But to decide that you would rather not be in it, to opt out of his reality, is to return to what the earth was before he ordered it and created it. Formless, empty, dark, murky, chaos, right? When you let the charge go, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Whatever was hooked up to that magnet is going to fall. It's going to be given in to the forces of a chaos, of a lack of order. So we tend to think of God's wrath as kind of a, a meanness. Like he's being really mean to us, right? There's a truth to the discipline, but this is what God is doing. He's saying, you don't want to be here? Okay. Okay. You really didn't want to be here? Okay. 
The reason that tree is there in the first place is because God is a God of love and he gives us a freedom. Even to the point where it would be bad for us, we're free to do that if we so choose. We're free to opt out of this reality. We're free to opt out of his light and his presence into a darkness because he loves us. Right? We've all heard the, the metaphor of God didn't create you to be a robot. Right? That's why he gave you free will. We all know we have free will. And we all struggle with that because we simultaneously want it and we don't want it. We simultaneously want to be able to do anything we want when it's good for us. And when it's bad for us, we want to blame God. Right? We want to blame him for all of the things that have happened. We want to, we, we want to make him into the bad guy. And so this is our spiritual darkness, our coldness. All of those traits we learn about God in these first five verses... When Adam and Eve fall, they systematically deny every aspect of who God is. They just systematically deny it. The serpent comes to them and introduces a kernel of doubt, which is all, how all sin starts in our minds. A kernel of doubt. Did he really say that you should not eat of any tree? Did he really say it? And they respond rightly. No, he said he said we should not, but it's too late because it's already there. A suggestion of can you really trust him? Did he really make the world? Did, did he really make the universe? Which is really a question of is he really in control? Is God really in control? And so Adam and Eve deny that God is the creator. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's not in control. And then he suggests that God is withholding something. He doesn't want you to eat of it because he doesn't want you to know everything. So God, we deny that God is not good. His intentions, there's some error in there. There's something he's keeping from us that we deserve. So we deny that he is good. And then we deny that he is the judge. And we deny that by continuing to do the things that we know are wrong. Eve takes the apple to Adam, and Adam knows that it's not right. But he does it. Okay, here we go. He's not the judge. And this, this is the crux of all of the sin, is that we want power. Adam and Eve deluded themselves by listening to the serpent, by listening to the deceiver, that God is not completely necessary. That he doesn't actually sustain us. That there is a way to sustain ourselves. And there we have it. That's, that's the core there is a way to sustain ourselves in this world. And when the Bible serves us, we will use it. And when the church serves us, we will use it. But when it doesn't serve us, we will ignore it. And some of us, you might say, John, I'm not thinking about it in that way. You're right, you're not. It's happening at some subconscious level. But that is what is going through our minds, right? I want to have what I want to have. And a good, a good God would give it to me. 
a good God would give it to me. God is giving you what you have. He is sustaining everything. It's not, it's not a good God might. There is a good God who is doing exactly what you have right now. Even if we didn't have the story, Paul in Romans 1.20 talks about how we can know these things. He says, for the wrath, and I want you to think about it as the lack of order, the lack of presence, an apartness from God, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. When you opt out, the wrath is there. You're in the nothingness. You're, you're in exposure, right? If we think about it in terms of, terms of like a harsh winter. You've taken off the jacket. You're just, you're just at the whim of the elements. For what can be... Sorry. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that, that, that have been made. So they are without excuse. He's talking about the people who don't believe. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Futile in their thinking. They wanted a reality which would not sustain them. That's what futile is. A foolish decision. When somebody makes a foolish decision, they're making a decision that you can see will not bring the ends that they think it will bring. Futile. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things relates perfectly to the situation the Israelites were in. They were around people who were worshiping the creation, but not the creator. And we are in exactly the same boat as them. We're not any better, we're not any more evolved than any of them, because we are worshiping the things that we can see and what they give us. We are sacrificing to them. We're praying in agony to them. We're doing all kinds of horrible things to each other to try and be first in line for what they'll give to us. Our, our pantheon of gods. And this is our darkness. This is our coldness. And so what do we do in that worship process? We begin to build other lights. In our world of darkness that we've chosen, there is still a light that burns brightly. But we exist in a world in which there are also thousands, myriad other lights that exist. And this is the deceiver's will, that each person would take up a torch, that each person would begin to hold a beacon to themselves, to nothingness. Our Instagram feeds are full of it. Blog posts are full of it. Our TV sets, our Netflix, our lives, our friendships are full of people pointing to something that they worship in hopes that we will worship it too. Sometimes they're pointing to themselves. Sometimes they're pointing to a promise that somebody has given them. 
But here's what is always true of a false light, of a synthetic light in the darkness, is that they are not the true light. They're not the light that emanates from God. There's, there's, a, um, there's a great cyberpunk book. I don't know if any of you guys are sci-fi fans, but there's a great cyberpunk book called Neuromancer, which the book starts with this man walking in this super futuristic world, right? And it's, it's a dystopia, so it's like Blade Runner. It's just all a mess. It's dark. And it says the sky was turned to the color of a blank channel. Now, some of you are too young to even know what a blank television channel looks like on an old analog TV set. White noise. We know it in sound. We know what white noise is in sound, just that static hiss. There is nothing colder. There is nothing darker than noise. There is nothing as detached as a scrambled signal that is completely meaningless. What's the first thing you would do when you hit a channel? I remember as a kid, you hit that channel. You just skip right to the next channel, right? You're looking for something clear and you're punching the button or the remote or maybe some of you are even turning a knob <laughs> and you're trying to get to something where there's some kind of signal where you can make something out. And sometimes I would just settle. We lived rurally and sometimes I would just settle for like a faint version of like a mash, right? And it would just like be showing up just amidst and I could just barely hear it and I could just barely see it. But because I wasn't getting anything, I would settle for it because it was all I had, right? It's so unclear. The noise is everywhere. We live in a world that is like a channel on white noise when we surround ourselves in darkness, when we have not identified what the true light even is in our life, we can't hope to find a signal. We're not looking for a signal. We're switching through the channels and just getting to one of them on white noise and saying, that looks pretty good. I'm just going to sit and watch that until it like, hypnotizes me, right? Until I'm like, brainwashed by it. We're, we're not even looking for the signal. And some of us have gotten to a point where we can just faintly make it out and we've just kind of settled. We've just kind of settled and we've said, actually, this is fine. This is fine. There's some truth in it. There's probably some lies in it, but I'm getting by. The true light beckons us. It beckons us. It shines so much brighter. When you finally get to that signal that is crisp and clear and perfect, it is so far desirable. It is so far better. So our problem for most of us is that we actually don't want, because all of us in this room know what the bright light is. So then the question has to be, why do we not want the brightest light? And you say, well, John, you make it sound so easy. Because what I just outlined is the very notion of faith and belief. The very notion of faith is that there is something brighter and truer. Because we live in a time at which there is so much deceit and darkness in the world. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14 says, And no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. We have competing angels of light everywhere for us. And unless we, unless we sit down and we seek to identify what a true light looks like, we won't find it. 
We simply will not find it because there's too many great looking truths out there. Things are so gorgeous. I mean, unbelievably gorgeous. Just from when I was young to now, I look at, I look at the image of video game paints through the reality it paints through the lushness. I look at the just incredible beauty of every image that's shown to us. The lighting's just perfect. Everything is so desirable. The deceit and the masquerading is so refined. Because we have been studied and we are known. But there is one that knows us even more. Because when we open scripture, when we open something like the Psalms, we can see that a man like David thousands of years ago knows what's inside our heart better, more. That a truth like Genesis 1 through 5 can have such depth when you watch, if you watch a lot of movies or read a lot of books, right, you can pull out a bad story. We watched just a terrible Christmas movie last night. It was so bad, you guys. And I, the whole time I just want to claw my eyes out because I was like, I can't believe I'm watching this. First of all, there's nothing, there's nothing true in it. But second of all, it's not even doing a very good job. We, we settle so often for that because we're just so frustrated. We're so frustrated of searching. We're spending so much of our effort searching. Again, John, help me out here. I'm not, I feel like I'm searching for good things. We are in a world so full of distraction. So full of it. White noise is just a dark dot next to a light dot next to a dark dot next to a light dot over and over and over and over and over again to the point that it just scrambles you. We have just decided that everything will, that promises something, we're going to go after it. We're going we're to give our limited time of our life to it. And we aren't focusing See, our problem isn't that we don't have the right values. Everyone in this room knows what the right values are. The problem is we have so, one of these original, and maybe all of them, denials of God's character is pushing us. Is what we've grabbed onto and we're pulling on that. And it's taking us into the darkness. One of those foundational things, either that we're denying that he's a creator, that we're denying that he's been good, that we're denying that he can really judge and that there is really an eternal nature to our soul. All of these things, we're denying some aspect of it and then we're looking for something else. And so, what we have to realize is that God is eternal. That in this story, in the first five verses, we're not just looking at the beginning we're looking at the ending. The first five verses of the beginning of everything, if God is eternal and he's a sustainer and as Drennan said up front, he does not lie, everything is perfect and true. That he's a constant through all of this. The story we're on is gonna do this. We're gonna go up and down through that, but God is a constant. At the beginning, he will be exactly the same at the end as in the beginning. And we know this. Isaiah 48 says, Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, who I am called. I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. 
My hand laid the foundations of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand forth together. Right there, we can see that it's the beginning, and, and it's the, the electromagnet that holds it all together, that sustains everything. And Jesus is a part of that. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So despite all of the scrambling in your life, despite all of the things that confuse you, Jesus is not here to confuse you. Jesus is not masquerading as an angel of light. He is the light. And he lived it with you. If, if, if Yahweh, God of the Old Testament creating, if that's not enough, God said, I'm not leaving you, even though you have left me for your entire existence, each one of you, I will woo you back to me. I will seek to have you back. Even though you have opted out on me, I will keep asking and asking and asking until your dying breath. If you do not want God, God will let you go, but not without a fight. He is fighting for you. Think about Naomi. Think about the story we just went through in Ruth. Famine. The Israelites said no. We don't want to follow your laws. We don't want you. We deny your character. We deny that you are a creator. We deny that you are a judge. And what happens? Reality begins to unravel. The order of the harvest and the rains begins to unravel. It's like that movie Inception, right? Where when things start to break down, just whole buildings start collapsing. Everything just starts caving in. That is God's wrath. It's that magnet beginning to say, okay, you're getting too far out of the reach of, of what I can do, right? I've given you that choice. And she rebels and she says, your wrath is mean, you're angry at me. But then he woos her back. Like Cain, even, who kills his brother out of bitterness of who God is. You're not a good God. And he leaves and God says, you're banished from here. But you're not dead, and I'm not going to bring death to you. You have your entire life to consider that, to consider your choice, and to return to me. He gives us our life. The life you're living right now, every moment you have, is a turning point in where you get to say, am I going to go back to the true light, to Jesus, the light of the world? When he's beckoning me back, am I going to let go of all the promises that all of the false masquerading of light, all of the deceitful promises, am I going to let go of those things to come back? He welcomes us back. We are never neutral. See, if we are worshiping distractions, if there's a comfort in just disengaging from our reality of the pain, so we go to our phones, right? Or we go 
we go to our bitterness, which is kind of the same thing sometimes, where we just say, okay, I'll do it, but I'm so frustrated with all of you, right? Where we opt out of service of love. We're never neutral. We delude ourselves to think we're neutral in the world, that we somehow have our life as a sort of playground where we get to choose, just as long as we choose by the end of it the right thing. We can kind of do whatever we want. And we've entitled ourselves to every breath, every moment, every meal. Because they have come day in and day out, we have allowed ourselves to say, God doesn't sustain me. I sustain me. I get the paycheck. I bring in. I go to the grocery store. I do all of the things. God's not even real. He's saying, no, 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 no. The beginning Remember the beginning. Remember that I started all of this for you. And I had a purpose for it. The reason you have everything you have is because I had a purpose for you. And I so mean it that in my grace I sent myself, my son, my God presence into a human to help you. To help you relate to that. And then when Jesus left, he gave us the spirit. He says, my advocate will come with you, will come and be with you, so that in each of you, there is a light. So God in the beginning was a light that emanated into the darkness. Jesus was the light of the world, and we are salt and light. We are a true, we can be a true light, church. Just because we pick up a torch and pick up a light does not mean we have to be masquerading because we're listening and we're denying. We can pick up the true light. And so our purpose, our purpose in this life is to realize we are not neutral here. We are not neutral. We have actually chosen a side. We have said, God, I believe. I believe. And now the next step for us is to carry that well. To hold firm to that, as Drennan talked about, to run, to keep running in Hebrews. Keep going. In an Advent season, we need that hope. We need to know what is coming for us. It's hard to run to something when you don't know what's coming. It's just really hard, right? Some of us are in places in life, when you get stuck in your life, it's hard to break out of it because what could be so much better to you, you can't quite put a finger on it sometimes. We want to be sure. We want to know that there will be friends for us, that there will be a job for us, that there will be a family for us, and it will work and that we will be able to do it. And we need something to hope in. And we get that. At the very beginning, God is. At the very end, God is. And our Bibles end with this in Revelation 22. Verse 1 through 5, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb of Jesus will be in the city, and his servants will serve 
him. They will see his face and, the, and his name will be on their foreheads. They will have opted in. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun. They will not need any other promises, any other created promises of prospering. For the Lord, Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. That is our hopeful promise. You see, we don't, we don't really comprehend what the Israelites comprehended about the nature of light anymore. Even the nature of light for us is so misconstrued at this point. They, their crops couldn't grow in the middle of the night. They needed light. Light was essential. See, we can stay up all times of night. We can, we can walk through our life and never see darkness if we want to. You know, you could live in New York and never actually see darkness. There's neon, there's everything all the time. The Israelites knew the importance of light, and they did not want it to go away. And we have the hope that there will, not, there will be a time at which we don't have to depend on the created things for that light that will bring things for us. That God's reality that supersedes our reality will be our reality. And it's pretty trippy. I'll, I'll, I'll go there with you. This is pretty weird. It's pretty out there. To even begin to imagine this sort of breaks your mind down. But this is the crux of it. That a God of light sent his son to be light. Gave us light. We have it right now. With the promise that one day forever. There will be that provision, right, that light brings. There will be that provision. There will be that care. That will be their warmness. None of our coldness will exist anymore. Our bitterness will be stripped away from us. We will let it go. The open door of God's love. The tree is that open door, right? He says, I'm going to leave it open because I need to do that. That's what love is. He says, and come to me. Just come to me. Let's pray. Lord, you give us hope in this season. You promise us things, wild things. You've given us a reality that that you are the center of so we can't make sense of the choices and why evil is and how come you let us choose it unless we see first that you are and in your love you want us to desire you. Help us to see that, Lord, today. Help us to commit to that and help us to live that to other people. We pray these things in your name. Amen.